Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Uh, and I'm uh, sorry we weren't able to be on last week. It was nothing that I had anything to do. The technical issue here at the station didn't have anybody to take care of the show for me. So uh, this week, Baruch Hashem, we have too much to talk about. <laughs> Uh, we, let me give you a few of the highlights, and then we'll get on to some of the uh, important issues of the day. Uh, well, first of all, we're going to mention a problem of a, of, of the misuse of, of not misuse, of the use of carmine in some of our our, our foods. Um, hopefully, not the ones we're eating, but they are considered to be kosher, or they're confused for kosher. So we'll mention some of them. Um, dark chocolate. Very important uh, announcements about some dark chocolate. Uh, we're going to talk about a situation out of town that I'm involved in, trying to uh, work on some of the uh, issues there locally. Uh, we're going to, Mitz Hashem mentioned about some of the uh, foods that are from Israel, some of the fruits that are from Israel, and fruits and vegetables from Israel that are finding their way into our supermarket as we're speaking now. And then we want to go on also to talk about uh, the uh, the old topic of uh, refrigerations and uh, other uh, other uh, appliances in our home, how to make sure that they're proper for Shabbos. I have a few new in in a very new piece of information and some sources for all my listeners. But let me start first with a personal note. I uh, spent the last uh, few days came back yesterday. On a town situation, we were there for a simcha in, uh, in, a, in a town pretty far away from New York, a little different from the, what we used to, we used to seeing. I was very impressive, very interesting to watch the community, observe what was going on there, and to see the different setup, uh, in the, in the shul. I, I commented to the people I was speaking there. I spoke there three times. So one of the times I spoke, I, uh, I mentioned the people in the shul. I said, uh, I come from a, a shul where there's, uh, there's only two types of Jews. There's the, the Jews who have white beards and the ones who have beards that are not white yet. But that's about it. And in this town, we obviously had a very, very mixed group. And it was very interesting. It was invigorating to see the involvement between the different people. And share with you a couple of uh, insights from that the Shabbos, which was uh, very unique. And I haven't, I haven't told anybody. My wife never heard this one before. Some of these things that I'm going to tell you now. When I first came into shul, uh, I got there very early. I wanted to be there a little early to put a few things away that I brought with me, and uh, I wanted to be there before the, anybody, you know, before we started mincha, a good few minutes. So I was the first one in the place where they daven. The second person walked in, the young fellow, maybe 15, 16 years old, I don't know exactly how old, he had a bag of cookies in his hand, and he started, he's saying, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, to you know, there's nobody in the room, <laughs> I'm the only one, he's saying good Shabbos, he's being a spirited fellow, and he sets up all the things that you need, turns the lights on, puts the wine out for Kiddush, he, he's got, uh, I don't know, what's like he, he was busy, he had a lot of stuff, he moved the stender, he was doing a lot of stuff, and, he, and then, you know, then Shabbos started, and the next day, um, it seems that he called up the bar mitzvah bacher. I came for a bar mitzvah. He called up the bar mitzvah bacher. And I only found out later on that this is a special boy with special needs. I don't know what, what his exact issue is. I cannot tell you. But a uh, very happy, put-together young man. And the bar mitzvah boy told him, I want you to call me up. He passed up on the, there's a certain rabbi that calls everybody up. You know, he said, I want this young man to call me up. That's, that's a wonderful thing to say about that boy, the bar mitzvah boy. It's a wonderful thing to say about the community. And it wasn't, it wasn't just that one story. There were, it was a very disparate group. We had some people who were, I mean, I tell you all the details, I might give away too much, but there were people there who were, uh, you know, different colors, and there were, uh, there were people there uh, who were incapacitated in the wheelchairs, there were people 
all different types. There were black hats. Uh, I didn't see any gray hats. Okay, black hats and and people who uh, you know wouldn't were not wearing any hats, and uh, some people who were you know dressed a certain way in another way. It it was like a lot of people in different types in the shul, and they all were hanging together. They were all close together. I had the opportunity to speak to them, and I was uh, and I was talking a little bit about. Um, you know, respecting different the people of a different types, and uh, I want to tell the story now that I actually uh, mentioned on this show many I don't know a while ago. So if you remember it, fine. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. There was a man who had uh, unfortunately had somebody who was very sick and staying in Sloan Kettering in the hospital for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, this fellow who was a Hasidish man was asked to daven for the Amud. I don't know if it was Ni'ila, it was Musaf, I don't know, whatever it was. And they asked him to speak because he was an educated person, knew a lot of Torah, and he got up to speak on Yom Kippur, and he says what he said. We're all here today, and all of us have been helping each other understanding each other's difficulty and supporting each other the entire time we were here. It's a wonderful, uh, you know, it's a, a wonderful thing about Yiddishkeit. We were, we were hanging together. We were working together. We, we may helped make a minion. We helped each other out. But we're going to go home. We're going to go home. Things should be good for everybody, but we're going home. And we're going back to that world over there. And in that world over there, we don't speak to each other. We don't have anything to do with each other. That's the what it is. And that's where we're going. And when we get there, we're going to say, there was something different in, the, in that place in Manhattan. We were staying in the, in the hospital. You know, but this is the real world. So he said to them, no. This is the real world where we are now. This is the truth. That's false. This is the truth. I didn't say that story. I should have told him that story. It's a very powerful story. It, it, it's really the truth. And anybody who doesn't understand it doesn't understand anything. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a different scales than we making up in this world for judging people. But anyway, that's a, that was a, a personal note from a story from when, over my little trip that I made out of town. And uh, it was a very, very beautiful experience. I was connecting again with uh, so many different types of people. And you know what? You know who I ran into the most? My readers. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Everyone turned around and says, yeah, I get your magazine. I've been reading it for 20 years. I read this. It's amazing how many people there were. And they're all trying to help me, give me ideas about what I should do in the magazine. You know, and there was, there was, I had a lot of questions and a lot of stories. Oh, it was a good story, but I don't have to really resource to tell the story that I'm going to, I have to get permission to tell this story. It's a really very good story. It got a king in it. <laughs> it's got a, it's got a woman standing up and saying, I won't take responsibility for Kashras on this affair. It was a very exciting story, but I can't tell the details now. I mean, I wasn't authorized to it. It's, it's like, you know, this is a, this person was working in a very special organization. Anyway, we're going to begin. <laughs> that was before beginning. Let's just, I have this one first in front of me, so let's just mention it. Here are some of the uh, fruits and vegetables that are affected, uh, that, are, that are coming from Israel, that are finding its, their way right now into our supermarkets, right here in New York. Jaffa grapefruits and oranges from Israel are now available in the stores. And uh, there's a company called Biologique. I'll spell it for you. B-I-O-L-O-G-I-Q-U-E. They make organic peppers from Israel. They're in the fairways market, maybe some other places. Uh, there used to be three types they had out here, red, green, and uh, yellow peppers. And now I don't have don't they have all of those anymore, but they do have several varieties. Fairways has got them. Other stores have them too. Bio Low Geek. Okay. You see something that looks like that. That's that's the way it is. And the other one, Torim 
T-O-R-E-M Farms. These are some of the companies that are finding their way now into our markets. It seems a tremendous amount comes from Israel. Rabbi Marmerstein, who uh, certifies uh, the fairways, gives the Hashkachet fairways, he wrote the following, which I think is very interesting. He says, if you buy from a display with some peppers that are labeled from Israel and some that are labeled as coming from Mexico and others have no label at all, one should do hafrashes, trumas, and mices on the unlabeled ones, but do each one of them separately. In other words, you don't know because you're not allowed to separate from this on that if it's you can't separate <laughs> true and mice for something from Mexico, you understand? So you really you know really now when there's no nothing on it, it means that not that it wasn't from Israel or Mexico, it means it was possibly from Israel, but we don't know. So that's what he's telling his warning everybody that even if you don't see it, but I don't think anyone would say if they're all without a, a sticker that you don't have to, you have to assume they came from Israel. But you just do have to be worried when they're mixed together. That was the point that he made. I, I had more on this topic, but maybe I'll, I'll do it next time if we can. Let, let me tell you a story uh, a little bit about a community out of town. It was not where I visited. Don't get confused. Because <laughs> you find out where I was, don't think this was it. It's something else I'm involved in just you know, over the internet and with my uh, some calls and back and forth and things like that. Um, a com- organization is allowing people to bring wines to the restaurants or allowing wines in the restaurants. The, the restaurant can carry which are not mavoshal. It's a very bad deal. It's a very bad deal to do that because it's impossible. Uh, you know, when if you're selling somebody a bottle and it's a closed bottle and you're selling it to them and they open it, of course, it doesn't really make any difference. But what happens in some of these places is they don't get the whole bottle and they pour. somebody pours for them and sometimes you're pouring for people at the table and the, uh, the, the table could be Jews and non-Jews. And if you're pouring for the non-Jew and he holds on to the cup and you're pouring the cup uh, and he's holding on to it, so now there's a problem with the entire bottle, even though it never touched, you know, it, 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 it didn't come in contact, the non-Jew didn't come in contact with it, but it still has, according to some, it has a halachic status of, uh, of stam yenim, and it's not a, and it's a big problem. So we really don't want these nama bushels in, in in restaurants and in catering situations. It just really doesn't work out at all. And so, in one of these uh, cautious organizations, seems to be allowing that. And I think it's uh, something that's interesting. At the same time, there seems to be some concern about the labels in the bakery. Who you know who controls the labels in the bakery, uh, the supermarket bakery. Whether you can trust the uh, the kashrus of the, of those labels seems to be some technical problems there. I'm not going to go through the whole deal now, but these are the kinds of issues that I get involved in outside of putting together the kashrus magazine and coming on here and talking on kashrus on the air. Now here are three items. I don't know if it affects anybody who's listening, but I thought it was interesting. I came across it. Did I put it together? It seems that. Uh, a lot of uh, products have carmine. Carmine is from beetles. It's definitely not kosher, but it's used as a coloring. It's not used as a flavoring. Now, no one in, who would give, no one uh, that we know would give hush. I mean, uh, no one I know who does, but I mean, nobody who you should rely upon is giving hashkocha on products that have carmine. So that's uh, that's an olive. But there are some of them that have carmine, that do have ashkocha, and I don't recommend them. I don't recommend those kashras agencies to you either. And uh, that's the problem we're mentioning here. So some of these, uh, this one, I think these two have actually ashkocha on them. Uh, one is called Dole Mixed Fruit in Jerry, in, I'm sorry, in Cherry Gel. Again, Dole Mixed Fruit in Cherry Gel. These Cherry Gel, these gels 
or a gelatin thing. It's, it's been a G-E-L, but it's a gelatin type of thing, and it's a and it's, it's like a Jello, and uh, so uh, they they they're, they're they're not kosher. I mean, I think it's uh, this particular problem was that we were checking up on was carmine. It could be they have gelatin too, but there was carmine in the product. Um, then there's another thing we have here: Dan and yogurt light and fit, creamy. And uh, this particular item that we were looking at has carmine in it. And I think the Danon yogurts do have ashkacha, aside from the ones that have the OU. I think the other ones may have a K on them. And then there's a, a Snapple product, two, a few Snapple products that should uh, should be important to, to note because a lot of people don't realize that Snapple could be not kosher. Snapples that are kosher have the OK on it. But the ones that don't have the okay, it's not an accident. It's not a misprint. It's intentional because they do a lot of products that are not kosher. So I'm going to give you a couple that happen to have carmine in them from these beetles. One is called Mango Madness right, from Snapple. Another one is called Island Splashes. There's different, uh, they have, I think they have two, uh, more than one Island Splash. But they're called Island Splash and Mango Madness. And uh, the, the, these are called natural fruit drinks, and they happen to have the uh, they happen to have the carmine in it. So when you're buying a Snapple, if you're buying a Snapple, you've got to make make sure that you look to see that it doesn't have carmine or that it has a, an okay on it. You know, to make sure that you're really taking something that has a a, a kosher certification that you respect. Now I'm going to read something to you that's going to sound like gibberish. It's going to be sound a little confusing because to me it's confusing. And I said it's confusing to my listeners and my readers. And I uh, approached the OU to ask them to change their policy. I don't know if they did or they will, but I want you to listen to it. And, and if you agree with me, so contact the OU and say enough is enough. I'm going to read to you two different products and each one is going to be different, but they're going to be so confusing, you probably won't be able to realize. So let's take, for example, like this. There's a company called Scharfenberger. It's not the real company. It's The real company is Artisan, Artesian uh, Confections in Fairfax, Virginia. But the, but the, comp- the product is called Scharfenberger. It's a high-end chocolate, S-C-H-A-R-F-E, S-C-H-A-R-F-F-E-N, Burger, B-E-R-G-E-R. Very high-end chocolate company, chocolate product, actually, brand name. They make bittersweet dark chocolate baking chocolate chunks, 62%. I don't know what 62% is, maybe it's of, of, of cocoa, whatever, but again, so the Scharfenberger Bittersweet Dark Chocolate Baking Chocolate Chunks, 62%, is OUD only in the 6-ounce size. In the bulk variety of the same exact product, Scharfenberger Bittersweet Dark Chocolate Baking Chocolate Chunks, 62%, in the bulk is Parva. Do you understand the confusion that could exist? That's number one. Number two, Scharfenberger roasted cocoa, it's cacao actually, whatever it is, cacao nibs, N-I-B-S, or O-U-D. But Scharfenberger 62% dark chocolate nibby bar with roasted cocoa bits is parva. Oh, you parva. The cocoa bits themselves are dairy, but the the bar that has the cocoa nibs is parva. Do you understand what the confusion that is? You're telling me it's parva, and then you're telling me it's dairy. One is the same exact product, just in bulk and in uh, in, in six ounce size. And I'm not saying the OU is wrong. I'm saying the OU is probably a thousand percent. This is probably the facts because that's what I got it off the letter of certification. I got to believe that that's what's correct. And I contacted them. They haven't contacted me yet to tell me whether they're going to try to draw the, change this because we have two products 
that in one case, it's exact same product, only different sizes. And the other one, they're using something that's supposed to be dairy, and the final product is parva. That's a trick. <laughs> How do you use dairy to make parva? I didn't figure that one out. So I'm, I'm sure there's an, a reasonable explanation to the whole thing, and I'm sure it's got to do with equipment and different zones in the, in the plant and different days of the week, whatever it is. I don't care how we, I don't, I'm sure that the information I gave you is correct. But obviously, it's impossible to figure out. Somebody came up to me last Sunday, actually two weeks ago, because I wasn't here this, this yesterday. Uh, a week ago Sunday, somebody came after my shear, and he asked me, he said, I went, I bought peanuts from the Plantis Peanuts, and it was an assorted pack. And it, ha- and on the back of the package, it had, uh, a little, uh, little diagram, not diagram, a little picture there of the, ingredient panel, and it mentions the different uh, types of plantas peanuts that are inside there, and some, most of them had OU, and some had a K. And he wanted to know what, you know, what's going on there, you know, why some have this and that. I said, well, the ones with the K are not kosher, because they have gelatin in them, and the ones, that, and then the OU has the OU. He couldn't believe it. Why do, why do you have a, a mixed bag, OU on it, and even though it's got gelatin and some of the products? So I explained to him, because we went through this, and I think you remember, remember it if you listen to me a lot, <laughs> that, that an assorted varieties in a package can sometimes have on the back, not doesn't say that the bag is all OU, it says on the back, it, dis- it shows a description of the uh, ingredient panel. And shows you the uh, breakdown of the uh, calories and then different uh, things that are inside. You know, with the percentage of this, the percentage of that, and the ingredients. And then, because on that, on the other side, on the packaging itself, it has a little OU or a little K or something. So that's part of this ingredient panel. Just a picture of the ingredient panel. But it looks to the consumer as if we're saying the product is OU certified which the individual one was, but not the package, because in the package is a mixture. And we've had mixtures with trafe inside and the OU on some of them and trafe on the others. And we and we asked the co- if they would speak to the companies to stop this, but so far um, it's too much part of the business. So we're going to have to get used to it. You can buy a package and see OU or somebody else, Cuff K, I'm not sure who does these things. Whoever it is, you might see on the back another name, uh, you know, a kosher name, and then yet it doesn't mean that all the products inside the bag are kosher certified. So, look, if you know what to look for, you wouldn't be fooled. That's what the, uh, I suppose, the OU position is because it, it is what it is. Nobody's claiming that uh, that really is OU certified, the whole bag. But a lot of people could misunderstand it. And, and this man, who is in the food business, and he's a young man, I mean, not not twenty one, he's uh, in his thirties, and he's uh, young, and he's in the food business, and he was shocked. He did not know. I don't know if he ate this stuff or he didn't. Which leads me to a story I don't want to tell. I wish I will never have to tell this story. And I don't I hope and pray that it won't help anybody. Uh, It's really upsetting me no end. I have a good friend. He lives in Israel. And he sent me the email. And he said, do something. So I did. I am. But I've got to tell you the story. He went back to Israel. It's just like a week and a half, maybe. He he went back to Israel, and on the trip, he had a meal, which had a nationally recognized kashrus organizational symbol, a well-known name of a caterer, and he was flying a major airline. Okay, again, it's a normal major airline. Not a schleppy, uh, you know, uh, cheapo uh, uh, ride. 
and he's going, and, and the packaging has the hashkoch on the outside, and has the name of the catering uh, company on the outside, and he ate it. And after he ate some of it, he said, this is strange. And he looked at the ingredients. And the ingredients included pig's meat and cheese. And he couldn't, he couldn't take that. It was terrible. And indeed, what happened was they put a sticker of this kosher caterer with the kosher symbol and the airline's name on top of a pa- and it's sealed, and inside was a, a was a meal that was hundred percent trife, hundred percent trife. So so far, I had there's been no resolution. I don't know what the resolution will be. My assumption is, I spoke to the cashless agency, and uh, it was given over to the company, and uh, I, I, I was hoping everybody would speak to the airline because that's the main place to worry about. It's it must have taken place. It didn't take place in the kosher caterer. They don't have non-kosher food. They don't have packages of non-kosher food. They're not putting labels on non-kosher food. That's not even a not even a possibility. It had to happen. In the airline, uh, when they're when they're preparing the meals and setting them out to send out, somehow, maybe a guy was a wise guy, or maybe something ripped and he put this thing on, etc. Or he was sleeping. I don't know what happened, but somebody covered a tray for meal with a kosher caterer's name and and and, and the on it. And the airline, which is the correct airline on it, and it, and it got delivered and served to a fellow who, uh, it was Eurasia volume. That's this is a fact that, that we can't deny, and uh, it has been being investigated. So all I'm why am I bringing this whole thing up? When a person travels on an airline or he goes to a hotel. I get the calls all the time. I'm going to this hotel. They're going to give me meals from such a place. Is it okay? So the answer is, yeah, the meals are okay. Uh, are they double-wrapped? Are they, uh, are they put into the uh, properly in the oven? You know, was uh, was a, um, they didn't crack. Everything's good. Wonderful. Uh, now we're going to have to say to them, but make sure that there's no other packaging underneath the label because who knows that's that's what we have to say is it rare of course is it ever going to happen again probably um does have i heard about before no uh does it happen regularly no but it could happen so it's not something to uh, lose your mind over Although if you're in that situation, it would be, it would be devastating. But you, but you, you should be aware of it. It's like, right. it's like somebody said that we had a situation. I'm, I was involved in this one and I, I didn't found it very difficult to understand until I learned how it would happen. Um, there was non-kosher marshmallows in a kosher cereal. And how could that happen? The answer is, that the packaging is done on a machine that does the fill, fills up the uh, fills up the packages. Well, they use the same machine for filling for trafe and kosher, and they clean it out in between. But it's very hard to clean out one hundred percent thoroughly. Just like when they're making matzah in machine matzah, it's very hard to clean that machinery one hundred percent. So again. It's got to do with the quality of the Ashkocha. And when I came to the Kashvah's organization and I said, you know, what's going on over here? They said, well, this is the, it's the fill. I said, does this happen? He said, yeah, I, I usually get a call once every two years. The Kashvah's agency said to me, they're getting the call once every two years on this thing. And I said to myself, that's terrible. First of all, it's once every two years somebody ate treif or saw treif in their cereal. And what about all the non-Jews 
would they report it to the conscious agency that they saw marshmallows in their, in their cereals? They're not going to report it. So that means that it's happening a lot more than once every two years, and a lot of people won't report it, and a lot of people didn't see it. So it's happening. Yes, people handling product can produce trafe in a kosher product, even though you've got a really kosher product in its production, but the handling of it, the packaging, whether it's the packaging of the fill or it's this packaging, the final package on the outside, it's still going through human hands, and you do have to keep your eyes open. Does that mean every time you pour your cereal, you have to look for a marshmallow? No, we can't. You can't do that. You could you could turn a second and and say hello to your friend while you're pouring the the, the package. But you, once you've heard what I just told you, you know that one does have to be responsible. Havdil by driving, you have to keep your mind on. You can't take your mind off the wheel even for a second. But you still do maybe flick this or flick that, and you know, and, and not turn away that really fully. And that same thing when you're pouring something or you're eating, you know, you don't have to be nervous every single second. But you now know that there's a possibility that somebody could do something as terrible as what I just described to you. I'm not, I'm not the same person after hearing that story. I really wish I could turn the clock back for my friend and it would never have happened. But unfortunately it did. And now I'm trying to get it resolved in some way to find the, to find the real facts about what happened. So far, we don't know. So we're going to begin now a second segment, which is about the refrigerators and other equipment. So let me tell you first the two things that I found so we won't even have to waste your time. If you want to listen to it, fine. If you like to just, uh, you know, look the things up yourself, I, I give you perfect freedom. What I got yesterday, I didn't even know it existed before, is something that uh, is pretty new. And it's and it's interesting how it came out, etc. In the, the uh, in tradition, which is a publication, it's a journal of Orthodox Jewish thought, from the RCA, the Rabbinical Council of America, um, in spring 2017. So I missed it until yesterday. They have an unbelievable article by a master writer, a halachic writer, by J. David Bleich, who was, uh, you know, what can I tell you? This is, if you want to, if you want to see what English is all about, and if you want to understand what it means to analyze something, that you want to see the intricacies of it, if you want to really understand it, you read Rabbi J. David Bleich. And he wrote, uh, he always has a survey of recent halachic periodical literature, Refrigerators on Shabbos. This is an article you can get. If you need to get it, if you'd like to get it, as I recall, it costs $2. And you go to the the website. You can look for Tradition Magazine or you go to RCA, Revival Council of America, their website, and look for Tradition Magazine. It's volume 50, number one, spring 2017. Volume 50, number one, spring 2017. The author, Rabbi Bleich, B-L-E-I-C-H. Uh, he has so many articles over there, you won't, you know, you have to find it, but they're not going to take you long because you know when, which issue it was. And it's refrigerators on Shabbat. Okay. Now it's about tw- 30 pages. And what's interesting is the notes are unbelievable. There's no, his, his analysis is, Unreal. It, it's a, it, it's a, it'd be worth doing a whole show on. It may have to do it yet. It, it's just a, uh, he really analyzes the whole topic. And what I love, first of all, I think I, I hope I had something to do with. It. I don't know because our article on refrigerators came out before this article. But I don't know because I, I I had this I had the same thought about the OU when I wrote my article on Shabbos, which was last year. Uh, so they, uh, maybe it was about this time. I don't remember exactly what time it was. 
So at that time, we did three shows on it here on the air, and then I, then I wrote an, an article on it. It was a thorough article. And uh, maybe six, eight weeks later, the OU came out with an article on exactly the same thing. And I said, wow, they must have copied me. But I found out that uh, they had done the work independently and started it earlier than I had printed even. So it was in the works before I even uh, you know, got mine out. But uh, So maybe I had nothing to do with that one. This one maybe. I did have something to do with it because he's a reader of ours. But uh, the article is is great. I just got it yesterday, and I couldn't put it down. My eyes were almost closing, and I I, I had to, I had to read it. But to, to, to discuss it on the air, I got to read it more thoroughly. And I just tell you, it's uh, it's worth your time, and you, you'll you'll you've never understood anything like you'll understand it after you read this, because the whole thing sounds confusing uh, to to the to the layman, and he explains it thoroughly how the thing works inside the machines and it's it's fascinating and it reads like you know it's a he's a real a great author great writer good rabbi good rebbe anyway back to uh, the other thing i wanted to share with you very very important is from is from fed tech i just saw but thought this also a few weeks ago and i thought this was great this organization is the Federation of Synagogues in England. And it's interesting to see how they dealt with the whole topic. And they don't, they don't just do refrigerators. They're also discussing stoves, etc. So I'm going to tell you how to get everything from them. Uh, they're, they're, the location of their, of their site, the website is Federation dot org dot uk and then you go to the section called Kahila services and then you go to the section called fed tech t-e-c-h fed f-e-d fed tech t-e-c-h again federation.org.uk then you forward slash Kahila services and then food tech now what they're going to get over there is exposure to their own article there. And then I'm going to share with you another thing, which I don't know if it's on the website or not. I cannot tell you. I'm not there now. But they have a series of three articles in a thing called um, Oneg. Let me just see if I can find it here. I must have it on the paper. Wow. Um, yeah. E-Oneg. E-Oneg. We can plug that in. E-O-N-E-G. You can plug that in and you should end up finding it. If you don't, then go to I-S-S-U-U. That's issue. I-S-S-U-U. That, that, uh, that place has all kinds of magazines, and they have the E-Oneg. And that's a magazine that comes out from this federation. And they have three issues that uh, that have an article, a different article, about the, the appliances in your home. And all these are geared to helping you understand how you yourself can find out if the if the uh, equipment that you have currently has a problem or if you want to buy a piece of equipment, how to be sure that it doesn't have a problem. So this is extremely helpful material. I mean, this is, I have never seen this anywhere, and they're very, very good at it. And the reason why is because they're in England and they don't have the availability of some of the, the uh, things that we have in this country. So they're not going to tell you about uh, you know some of the uh, the techniques and things that we would tell you over here. They're telling you how you can be uh, on top of the situation yourself. They don't have too many opportunities. Only a few of appliances are that are exported to England have Sabbath modes, and so they they really get you into it and explain how to deal with it and give advice. And this advice is fantastic, but that's not enough. 
they happen to have, and you go to that FedTech uh, address over there, they have a telephone number. If I have it here, I read it to you, but I'm not sure that I have it. I, I'm not sure right that I have it on these papers. It's a little funny that I thought I would. One second. Yes, I have, I have FedTech. And I have those papers. I, let's see. Yes. Yes, yes, I got it over here. So I'm going to tell you how you can contact this federation organization and, and get your questions to them. So I'm going to give you now, uh, an email address is technology at federation dot org dot uk technology at federation dot org dot uk or you can send a message to shyla text and they have some number for that but i don't understand how to do that so i'm not going to be able to tell you how to do it their website again is federation dot org dot uk and you slash fed tech and you're gonna and you can send your shylas to them and they will try to help you through the process because they themselves are suffering over there, not having not, not having as many Sabbath mode, uh, you know, pieces of equipment as we have in this country. But they f- firmly warn everybody that not all Sabbath mode products are really certified. Uh, the company can put the word Sabbath mode on and put it in their booklets without paying any money or asking anybody to give them hashgacha for it or review it or whatever it is. There's no, there could be no rabbinic supervision. It's like somebody saying it's kosher and you, you can't stop them from calling their product kosher. You can stop them from using your symbol, but you can't stop them from calling your product kosher. And no one has to back it up except themselves to say it's kosher. That's it. Finish. You don't have to, they don't have to worry about it at all. Same thing here with the Sabbath mode. They can make the claim. Go prove them wrong. So uh, what happened is that uh, a number of companies, uh, you know, misled the the Star K, and the Star K was certifying some of them and and had to remove their hashgacha from it. Best place to go for a lot of this information is to the Star K because they do certify many pieces of equipment. The thing that we mentioned in the first set of shows that we did on refrigerators is that not everybody agrees with the Star K position on uh, on the Sabbath mode based on Rabbi uh, Heinemann's position as to what causes a grumma and whether a, 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 a stop of 15 seconds or more is enough to make it... Uh, you know, indirect, as opposed to something that's considered to be direct. So uh, when you're causing something, a causal arrangement, normally when you flick the switch, let's say, for example, in the house, it goes on. So that's like, that's obviously, this is related to that. But let's say you flick the switch, you know, when you had to wait an hour, <laughs> you know, that then you wouldn't think, you know, something else is going on inside the equipment that, that's making it go, not your action of pushing the switch. It's sort of a inter- very, very indirect uh, matter that you were involved in. So the question is how long that uh, that differential is going to be. And uh, then that's something of, of uh, the, the different rabbinim have different opinions about. We discussed it at length when we did our first set of, of, of shows on this topic, and I'm not going to be able to get into it now. It's, there's not enough time left, and I'm not interested in uh, confusing you more. And people have to follow up a little bit on their own. Now, last time I gave, I took all these references, and I put them together myself, and I sent it out. We sent out, I would say, it was more than 100. It was a lot of people responding to us. And it was very time consuming because sometimes it'd be just one, you know, when one would come in a day or a week and we were, we were running around trying to make sure everybody got their refrigerator information. So I decided today we're not going to do that. I'm sending you to two places. One to the Tradition Magazine article of Rabbi J. David, Rabbi J. David Bleich, B-L-E-I-C-H. 
You could contact them by going to Tradition Magazine or you look it up on the Rabbinical Council of America and you, you get the uh, Volume 50, Number 1, Spring 2017 edition uh, with that has Rabbi Bleich's article in it. You don't buy the magazine. You buy his article. I think it costs $2. And you, you they send you an email with his article. You give him a credit card for $2, unless they changed it. That's what they used to charge. And then you, uh, and, and then you, uh, and you, you, they send you the article. So, uh, again, survey of recent halachic periodic literature, refrigerators on Shabbat. But you will not, anybody who buys it, I guarantee you'll be happy that you have satisfaction guaranteed by Rabbi Wickler. You want the $2 back, I'll give it to you back. But you will definitely be happy with the article. Uh, it's sophisticated. I'll tell you that now. You got to be sophisticated to read it. But it's a great read. Okay. The other thing I told you was it was the work that's being done by FedTech from the Federation of Synagogues in England. So you can reach them by uh, by uh, their website federation.org.uk forward slash Kahila services and then you go to food tech and uh, you, you you can get over there uh the, a general article they have very very thorough general article and then you can go to e-oneg e-oneg that is their publication and it's and it's being stored on ISSUU but you should be able to get it directly also and there are three articles that tie in uh, and have uh, they have uh, they're very good articles and they and they discuss different aspects i have them right here in front of me right now i can take a look at it and give you an idea i have uh I have all all the three parts. The first part is called "Is Your Oven Shabbos Compliant?" And again, it's set up that you can do the work and you can make the decision. I don't suggest you do it completely yourself, but at least you're empowered. At least you could find out you have them. You bought one in the last five, ten years. Find out. Do this. You can't slip your refrigerator with this anybody. You know, and most rabbis don't make those kind of house calls. <laughs> so the best, and the and the and if you're going to get a repairman to ask you ask him the questions, it's going to cost you a hundred bucks. So you might as well uh, do it yourself. It costs you nothing. So they tell you how to actually figure out what your machine is doing. It's very interesting. And this whole topic is extraordinarily interesting. So that's part one: is is your oven Shabbos compliant? And it discusses what a Sabbath mode is and, uh, you know, and, and, and what it can do and what it can't do, um, which things it, it addresses. The Sabbath mode can address different of the needs. Like, you know, four things they mentioned that Sabbath mode works on. Light and fan, it turns on or off when the door opens or closes, so it takes care of that. And when the oven is operating, element switches uh, switches off when door is opened, takes care of that. Heating element reignites when the door closes, takes care of that. The writing on the LED exp- display screen appears or changes when door is opened, takes care of that. But it's got to be a real Sabbath mode. That It's not going to, you know, uh, make, make Shabbos, uh, all Shabbos problems disappear. But for your machine, you know, we are, for the refrigerator, this Sabbath mode should be good. Now, there's a there is a, a program from. I mean, it's mentioned in Rabbi uh, Bleich's article. I had a, I talked about it a lot when when we did the show. There's an organization called Mishmeres. Actually, I'll read it the way they say it: Mishmeret Hashabbat. It's in Israel, and they are um, there's a, there's a uh, a booklet that they put out called Refrigerators and Freezers. And that booklet was, I had given it out before, but you can get yourself, you'll look around for it. Mishmeret HaShabbat and their article, their booklet called Refrigerators and Freezers, and especially page 27, 28. 
and 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 what they have is a uh, they have a, a a product that they'll sell to put into your refrigerator, or they have for uh, I think and then refrigerators for sure. But you can get that. There are people who do it. Uh, if you, when you buy a piece of equipment like this, you're buying it from hopefully from a from company. That's very important. And when you buy from a from company, they're familiar with these issues, and they can put you in contact with somebody to discuss whether or not you do need or want to have a certain cutoff, which is based from it was made by this Mishmer Shabbos, and uh, which is being used by people in uh, in Lakewood and maybe in Brooklyn or the service people in Brooklyn. So you, you, it isn't, you're not going to have a big problem when you start looking at it, you know, Lemaisa by going to the, uh, to a, a responsible from salesperson for a, from a, from company and that you also confer with a Rav. But you can't do everything yourself. You, you want, you don't have a Rav who's familiar with it. So we gave you the way to contact FedTech. In England, you would send them a message to technology at federation.org.uk. You, you, you just send them an email, technology at federation.org.uk. So that was part one. Part two, uh, part two talks about Uh, as he said that in part one, we ended off that all ovens need to be thoroughly investigated. And part two, they're clarifying the circumstance on which models which do not carry a Sabbath mode can be used on Shabbos. So if you're buying a refrigerator that has no Sabbath mode, then what are the limitations? What must you do? And there are things you can do yourself. And there's also ways to buy timers, but you can just yourself do certain things, but you have to read the article. It shows you how to look at your machine, open it up, listen to it, look at it, and figure it out, and and read the booklet and speak to the company. It's an avoider, not simple. The third part, sorry, the third part over here uh, is, clarifies the possibilities of oven use over Shabbos. So that's a, a whole different topic is the ovens. These are the basic uh, topics that are being taken up in the tradition article by Rabbi Bleich and in the the different parts of the work of the, uh, the Fed Tech. I'm going to read to you a few lines from one of their pieces. What are the okay? Are the guidelines for Yom Tov use different than those for Shabbos? And as indirect activity is viewed more leniently on Yom Tov, many rabbanim permit opening a thermostatically controlled oven freely if an element indicator light is present. It is still better to open the oven only when the indicator light is switched on. So you see that. You have different opinions on that. Now they uh, discuss also. They discuss whether the. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to the. To this one over here. One company told us that when the door of their oven opens the power supply to the heating element will be immediately shut. When questioned, this company told us they did not claim that their mode to be halachically compliant with the laws of Shabbos. Here is a company that claims to have a Sabbath mode. Again, uh, this Sabbath, this company told, told FedTech that when the door of the oven opens, the power supply to the heating element will immediately shut, which means a malacha deraisa. You, 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 you. I mean, the rabbanon. Some want to say because it's in a tzarich, whatever. You know, you mean, 
whether it's whether it's whether it's whether using it uh, or whatever it is, but the point is you're over an Easter by clo- by opening this door, and the company said, "Well, we didn't tell you it's Sabbath mode. Me, this applies with sh- with the laws of Shabbos. It's Sabbath mode. You know, do this way, you get less problems." And that's what the company told FedTech. So there you got a company claiming Sabbath mode, and they they don't even know what it means. So these are this is a, it's a uh, an area that we cannot put off in our lives. If you have a piece of equipment, whether it's an oven or it's a uh, you know it's 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 an oven or it's a refrigerator, and you bought it in the last couple of years, or you want to go out and buy one, this is an area that you have to examine. In the few minutes that we have remaining, I want to just take up a, a quickly another topic, completely different. Everybody's heard of this halacha, maybe once in their life, maybe they didn't hear it, but they should have heard it. And uh, it, it plays out a lot in life. And I'm going to try to explain it in, in the remaining four minutes. It's called Shnei Kalim Shenogu, two utensils that touch and there's nothing between them so if you have let's say for example a kosher let's say let's make it simple for our houses you have milchik's cooking and fleisch's cooking at the same time and accidentally the pots touch no problem as long as there's no liquid between the pots there's no no liquid touching the two pots so my rabbi used to teach ravasha zim used to teach take a piece of aluminum foil put it between, on the stove, right between the two pots, and let it lean on one of them. And that's that'll be a separation, so that if you take off, a, let's say you take the cover off one, so you're not afraid of anything splattering and the touching over there. And then, so that's, it was an Eitzatova to give us to how to conduct ourselves if you're doing milkers and fleshes at the same time. Of course, it's not the best idea to do it, but if you were doing it, it's a parven milchers, a parven milchers. So this is an Eitzatova to put a little, to put a piece of aluminum foil and let it rest on one way, because this way that even if any moisture gets on the outside, it, it won't go from really, there won't be moisture between the two pots. So there's no moisture between the two pots. Nothing could transfer. That's the halacha. It's based on a, the Ramor has it. It's based on a, it's based on a Mordechai. And, uh, now there are, there is a problem. What about if there's moisture there, but it's not a liquid? It's just moist, you know, a little, little moist. So that's a big interesting question. Um, if there's moisture between the hot pots, many authorities contend that the liquid will now transfer between the pots. And they have to consider that one can make the other one not kosher. Other authorities maintain that if it's only a minute amount of liquid, it's with, with the pots being 60 times that amount, then it could be considered dry and everything will still be kosher. So obviously you got to ask a, a rabbi, this, the Shiloh. But by cheese, everyone agrees if there was hot cheese between the pots at the point of contact, and there's 60 times its amount in the pots, then the food remains kosher, but the pots need to be koshered. So this gives you a brief idea of an important halacha called It's a very common thing. I must tell you, I get calls all the time, and people have to learn the term Eino Ben Yomo. They have to learn what it means that something is not used for 24 hours. That's the most major part of halacha. Was, you're saying, I have a milk spoon, a fleshika pot, where they use within 24 hours. Are they, you know, that's the first question you have to be able to answer. And used for the, for that. In other words, used for milchiks or used for fleshiks. And I don't mean milchiks, the food was milchiks. I mean milk in that food. Dairy in that food. It does, it can't be that it was no dairy or not that it was a, a, a potato soup that you had in a milk pot. Therefore, the milk pot was used in 24 hours. That's nothing. It, it may have even kashered it. 
you if you if you use the we're talking about you if you used milk a pot for milchiks or a spoon for milchiks or it's for fleshiks or whatever it is really on the fleshiks or on the milchiks itself just stuck it in you stirred it da 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 then we have a pot or a spoon or whatever it is that we have to concern ourselves when they mix together or you stir it together all that for another time and uh, let me just sum up if anybody wants to uh, contact us. You can do that at Cautious Magazine. We're at 718-336-8544 or Cautious at AOL.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. Our website is CautiousMagazine.com and uh, we we have a new Cautious uh, Magazine that's coming out in a few weeks and we have one that came out just about two weeks ago. And if you're interested in getting them, let us know. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine.